0: Welcome to the First Gen Realness Podcast. My name is Ananya Conte, and I'm so thrilled you're lending me your ears and joining in on this really important conversation. We're here to discuss all things related to the first generation American experience, education, money, business, navigating cultures, and living between two worlds while eating really awesome food. We're going to chat about what it means to be first generation Americans and why it's so important to share our stories and build more bridges. I hope that you'll leave this podcast feeling less alone, more connected, and holding your head just a little bit higher. Let's get started. Hello there. Thanks so much for taking some time to listen. You know, this is going to be a little bit of an emotional episode for me. And I hope that it um, serves as something. That helps you heal, something to make you think part of it for me is just a way to sit with what I've been feeling lately. You know, I've been holding back from podcasting. I'm sure you've noticed, (laughs) those of you who follow along, you know, and it took me a while to realize why I was having such a like reaction and like just resistance to podcasting. Um you know, I was so excited to start this podcast a couple months ago and I even have a couple episodes that I've recorded and just haven't published because it felt like wrong. Like it just didn't feel right um like the right moment to publish those. I felt really paralyzed in a way with the podcast and like in a way that I have not been, you know, even despite this like COVID-19 situation that the whole world is going through. I'm still running my financial planning business and I feel really excited and energized by it. I'm working on some exciting new projects for that, which I'm hoping to launch next year, um, which I'm super, super excited about. And I'm also planning on launching like a money series specifically for this podcast um, to talk about money topics and how it affects like first generation communities. But, you know, on a personal level, the truth is that I just was not able to think about or talk about my culture or my connection to my culture because I lost my uncle a few weeks ago, um, in early March, and I know that that on the surface it sounds like sad and unfortunate, but it was really devastating to me, and it still really is. It's really hard to underestimate the effect that his death has had on me, because you know he was a lot more than just my family. He was a really important cultural anger for me in a way that that you know I'll explain a little bit more but you know he was by far one of the most important people in my life and I wanted to take this episode to talk about him and what it's been like for me to lose someone who played such an important role in my cultural identity and my self identity as well so my Theopolo Uncle Paul as some of us called him He was married to my titi Maria, who is my mom's older sister. They were married for 53 years before she died in 2015. So he married my titi when my mom was 11. So my mom's older sister, she was a lot older than my mom and there were only two of them. So he became my my tío, became my mom's like surrogate father because my grandfather, my mom's dad died when my mom was a newborn, you know? And my tío was also like by far the most important male figure in my life and my sister's life too, besides our dads, you know? I was at their house, my titi and my tío's house, every day, practically after school, the entirety of every summer vacation, my entire childhood. Like I didn't, (laughs) my parents didn't do camp. Um, They didn't believe in that stuff, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Or they couldn't afford it. But I was there with my aunt and my uncle and my grandmother who lived with them my entire childhood until my grandmother died. And until I started working when I was like 15, I was there every day and my mom and i you know when my parents got divorced my mom and i also lived with them for a few years so to say that they were you know my uncle and my aunt were more than just a simple aunt and uncle is is really the case like they were like my second parents anyway so um, my tio was born and raised in Patillas Puerto Rico but he moved to the US in his 20s and he was like he was just the best gosh he was like Really old school Puerto Rican. So, those of you who are familiar with Puerto Rican culture in the States, like there is a huge Puerto Rican Day parade in New York every summer. It's usually in June. It's like a huge, huge deal. And you can always tell it's coming when, when they're, you know, Puerto Ricans are like notorious for having flags everywhere and proudly displaying our our flags but um it like goes to another level around the time of the parade every year so anyway my uncle would always like deck out the house around that time of year like puerto rican flags on the fence in front of the house on the car hanging from the front steps like little flag hanging from the rearview mirror in the car. He always had his Puerto Rican like hat on. I'm going to have to like post a picture of me in the show notes because I actually just found this shirt the other day. One year he gave me like around this time of year, every year I would always get some kind of paraphernalia, like a Puerto Rican t-shirt or something. I don't even know where he got them from, but um gave me this really funny like roughly off the shoulder puerto rican top and i've never worn it but i feel like i should wear it now um even though it's currently april and the parade's nowhere near now but um it feels appropriate to to wear it so i'm gonna have to post a picture of that in the show notes <laughs> anyway so he was like super proud of his culture you know he ate arroz con gandules or platanos or bacalao, like, every day of his life, like, and never got tired of it. I would often get tired of, like, beans again, and he was like, yes, we're eating beans again, (laughs) you know, and even after, like, 60 years, 60 plus years, gosh, of living in, like, the mainland U.S. and speaking English, like, he still had the strongest accent ever. He spoke great English, like, understood everything, but His accent was so strong that like often when the doctor's office would call the house, they would just default to Spanish and he would get so annoyed or people at the store and he would get annoyed, not because he didn't like speaking Spanish because he loved it, but he was like, I speak English. (laughs) But, you know, there was never a day that I spent with him where he didn't tell me like stories about Puerto Rico when he was growing up, about his family, about my family, uh, what things were like when he was growing up, which was always so cool. Like I've always loved history and um, I've always loved my culture. And, you know, it was always so interesting for me to hear about those things. Like what kind of things did they eat when they were growing up? What kind of activities did they do? You know, he was often always telling me about how he had to stop school. I think he was like 13 or something because his family was poor and he used to have to go to the farm and cut sugar cane and like would give his mom the money from that. You know, he just would tell me all of these really cool stories. And like these stories, even though I didn't grow up in Puerto Rico, I think I was probably six or seven. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask my mom, but I was probably six or seven before I went there at all. But but despite that, Puerto Rico occupied such a big part of my story in my mind because it was with me every day. And, you know, my mom and my titi, my mom's older sister, they didn't grow up in Puerto Rico to the extent that my uncle did. Like he spent his full adult uh, childhood up until early adulthood there. And so they were less grounded in their culture than he was. So even for them, I feel like he was like a really central point of our family's identity, if that makes sense. You know, I came home from school every day and had chicharrones and tostones as a snack. Anybody who's ever met a Puerto Rican knows that that's like staple foods, right? There was salsa music playing first thing in the morning, almost every morning while he made us all breakfast. You know, and while he cooked, he would tell me stories about the neighborhood in Brooklyn that he and my titi first lived in when they first got married, were about like Puerto Rican history. Some of my favorite, favorite stories were like his early days in the States. And, you know, he was really dark skinned, like black. And I think he came here in the 50s. So, you know, knowing U.S. culture being black in the, in the U.S. at that time was not really an easy thing. And he was in the South. I think he was in Florida for a few years before he came to Pennsylvania and then New York. And so he would tell me stories about Jim Crow and, you know, discrimination they would face and those kind of things. And he always painted such a vibrant picture of everything. He was like the best storyteller. And he gave me, which I think is the one of the biggest gifts I've ever gotten in my life, he gave me a love for my people and my culture and my food that really has no price. He gave me a moral compass and a sense of what was right. Him and my titi, they were like the kindest people, the most honest people, the most straightforward people you could ever meet. One of the biggest lessons that I learned from him was that, you know, we're all like equal, dignified human beings. And we should always be generous and treat people equally. You know, one of like, I just remember being so impressed with him and my aunts too. They would have somebody come do construction on their house or the landscapers would come to their house and they would treat them like family. After they were done eating, they would all come sit at the kitchen table and eat the same thing we were eating. And it just... You know, I I think that level of kindness and sincerity and um, openness is something that you don't really find. And I'm so lucky that that was what I witnessed day in and day out growing up. He had this knack. I I can't say that (laughs) that my sweet mother or my sweet father have this knack, but, you know, he had a way of teaching me what was right and correcting me um, when I did something that was less than kind in a way that wasn't scary and didn't feel like I was being lectured. And I think because he was so wonderful, I just never wanted to disappoint him. You know, I remember one time I got caught cutting school. I was probably like 14 and we were living at my aunt and uncle's at that point. I think, um, actually, no, I think I just was going there after school, but my mom found out and she was furious and she was waiting for me. She picked me up, brought me over there and I remember I couldn't even go to the living room to say hi to him because I was so ashamed because I knew I would disappoint him. I like went into the side room and like hid basically. <laughs> but he taught me by example and you know showed me, most importantly I think also, showed me how to be joyful and lively and like to laugh at myself and, and not take life too seriously but always with an underpinning of kindness towards myself and towards other people. And, you know, nowadays things are really scary. And I think because, you know, the world is in grips of scarcity and anxiety, especially economic anxiety, which I see a lot, or maybe just because I'm paying attention to it because I work with money. The fact that my upbringing was that kindness should be the underpinning of everything I do, and it should inform everything I do and how I interact with other people and myself, I see it as such a gift because it's it's feels really rare um nowadays. Lastly, you know, he was the first person to really show me that the fact that you don't share blood with somebody doesn't determine or correlate like in any way, shape, or form to how much you love them. And I, I've alluded to this on other episodes, but you know, it, it's always and my Afro Latinos will understand this that are listening, you know, it can be hard to square being black or on the black spectrum and being Latino sometimes because, you know, there are all of these cultural things tied up in that, um, you know, uh, a lot of anti-blackness in the Latino community, um, a lot of rejecting blackness in the Latino community. You know, you'll see a lot of pretty dark skinned people tell you that they're Mestizo or they're like white and you know, oh, I have a, my grandfather was really white or they'll say these kind of things. And, because Puerto Ricans are, are darkish, but not the darkest of Latinos, I think, you know, it, it was hard to fit in when I was young. And he was the first person, I think, to really show me that that didn't matter. Like, I was just as Puerto Rican as anybody else. It didn't matter my color. And it also didn't matter that I was only half Puerto Rican, right? Like, it didn't matter. I was, as he would always say, Boricua de pura cepa, like purely Puerto Rican. And that meant so much to me. So the fact that I've lost him recently, I feel like I lost my bearings a little bit. Like what was my identity, my Puerto Rican-ness without the person who gave that to me? What does kindness matter so much without the person who embodied kindness for me more than anybody else? Like besides my mom, who is also like the sweetest lady in the world, you know, how can I... Feel rooted in my identity without him. Who's gonna remind me <laughs> when that that I'm Boricua de pura sepa? As I said, you know, even when I don't feel it or look it to everybody else. Um, if I'm honest, like nothing has really changed in terms of my day to day life, but I feel a loss not only of my uncle but also like my cultural anchor. Like I've been feeling it so deeply these last couple of weeks, and I'm really grateful to this coronavirus situation because it's made me slow down. I, I think I'm the type that defaults to busyness when I don't want to sit with my feelings. And so this has forced me to sit and think and be with my feelings and my grief in a way that I don't know that I would have if life were going about normal. And I'm really kind of grateful for that. As horrible as as the whole situation isn't as horrible as that may sound, but um, I'm an optimist by nature and I like to look on the bright side. Anyway, so I just want to close this by saying that I hope you guys will continue to listen. I promise I'm not going to pod fade or ghost on you again. (laughs) Um, I'm back and I'm reengaged and I'll publish those episodes I had recorded at some later date. Just doesn't feel right now. Um, I'm sure it'll feel right at some point. I have some cool things up my sleeve for you. And I'm really excited to share them with you. And I hope you'll continue to listen and follow along. Um, And just as one more closing note, you know, for those of you who still have your viejitos around, your grandparents, your older family members, hug them, talk to them about their past, record it if you can. I have some recordings of him and I've been watching them these days and they're priceless to me. Maybe, you know, now's a good time to do it. We're all in isolation and lockdown. Um, call them, record the conversations on the phone and give yourself that gift. Let's talk soon, bye. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to the First Gen Realness Podcast. I hope you've left here feeling more sure of your Americanness, feeling a sense of community with your fellow first generation kids and holding your head high. I see you and I feel you until next time.